Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, is Adam Pawatic. What you're about to listen to is an interview that Adam and I recently conducted as part of our partnership with the Real Estate Forum and their Ref Club Initiative. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Real Estate Forum Club Think-In with Wendy Waters. I am Adam Powatic, and your other co-host is Aaron Cameron. We are lenders with First National as well as co-hosts on the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. For anybody not familiar with Wendy, she is the Vice President, Research Services and Strategy at GWL Realty Advisors. Uh, she's definitely the smartest person in this room, but she's probably also the smartest person in most rooms that she goes into. We've had the honor of interviewing her numerous times, and it's always been of high value with great information. So I'm glad to have Wendy back to talk about the 2020 Office Tenant Survey. Uh, we've broken the presentation down into five key parts, working from home and post-COVID office implications, green initiatives and climate change, building features, technology and tenant satisfaction, Wendy's going to present some slides for each, and then we're going to jump in with commentary afterwards to uh, you know, rehash all the, all the findings. And then at the very end, we are going to do questions from the audience. But if you, if you think of one now, please fire it into the comments. We can see it, and we will get to it at the end. So, Wendy, good to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you guys again under sort of unusual or different circumstances. So thanks very much for having me and enjoyed the participation with the Canadian Office Tenant Preference Survey that Informa Canada did this year. I think it was the second year, but the first year of a really big launch, which unfortunately coincided with COVID. But there's a lot of things about COVID that were unfortunate. As one of the sponsors, we also got involved with my research team, helping out with thinking of bringing in some ideas that we have found success with in some of our surveys that we've done at Realty Advisors, as well as bringing in lessons we've learned the hard way where we've had questions that haven't worked out when we've surveyed office tenants. So we start to learn how to do things better. So this survey was created, we worked on it, but there was a lot of input from the other sponsors. So a lot of other landlords were, were sponsoring. We ended up with 1,800 tenants, people who work in office buildings responding. The survey was open for quite a while between May and October. So that's something to keep in mind, depending on when you survey people and ask questions like how well work from home is going, the timing can depend a lot. You know, our school's open, our school's not open. People might be happier maybe when schools are open and their children are not underfoot. And so it lasted through mostly for the most part the summer months. And there's some of the, the topics we've talked about. Not all of them we're going to cover today. It's a very extensive survey. And, uh, you know, if, if you are a sponsor, I think you'll be getting a copy and Sarah Siegel can, can help you out with that. Uh, if you're not, full results and reports will be made available. A little more information on who responded, also important for interpreting results. A lot of people in the real estate industry, which is not surprising given the Informa is a real estate organization and an attract, you know, is a, a source of information for real estate organizations. 18% corporate executives, 22% who play a major role in decisions for the company. A couple more things on demographics, and then we'll get into results. But it's, just, as I said, important for interpreting. Get a little more information, which I'll just leave on the screen for a second. I thought it interesting that 35% of the people who are in this survey we're working for companies of less than 50 people. Important because there's a little more flexibility on office space if you're a smaller user. If you're a one-floor user, there's a lot of options if you need to change space, change things up. If 
you need a building and a half, there's a lot fewer options for you if you're, you know, a million and a half square foot tenant. So, you know, at least 35% smaller companies. And then there's probably a certain percentage of those are really small companies too, which makes a difference. Whoops. I thought this was interesting in the the box on the far left and then the one I've got in green on the right. In terms of growth, a lot of these companies are growing. You know, 60% grew in the previous 12 months to when people took the survey. You know, another 26% still looking to grow. A lot on the no change looking ahead, which would make sense in the summer. There's still a lot of uncertainty. But I think that's also obviously positive news in terms of office demand. And you can also see some of the landlords represented from the survey. So working from home, how is that going? And that's obviously right now, that's a really key thing in any survey of office workers tends to be, how is working from home going? But one thing that's important to understand when we start looking ahead, because often then people are asking, well, are people going to go back to the workplace, is what was happening before? And like so many things with COVID, it doesn't necessarily change trends, but it's tended to accelerate or put a magnifying glass on trends that were already there that we maybe were not noticing. And one of those was increasing flexibility for office workers in terms of how often they were at the office versus working elsewhere, whether it was a coffee shop, home, cottage. So pre-COVID, we had 10% working from home most of the time, three to four days a week of these office workers. So they were already there. Fewer if they were downtown workers. So it's interesting that suburban office workers, and this isn't the only survey where I've picked this up. We've done some of our own surveying at Realty Advisors with Abacus Consulting, and we've also picked up this trend. Downtown workers less likely to have been working from home pre-COVID, but was still there, and suburban a little bit more, 10%. And then working from home sometimes, one to two times a week, 18% pre-COVID, a little higher for downtown. So downtown workers having some of that flexibility pre-COVID. You can see there's a few of the other questions we asked. Once COVID is resolved, ask people what they would prefer. On this one, I broke into downtown and overall. On the chart on the left, the two responses on the far left are home full-time and home most of the time. And so you can see, again, downtown, we had 6% pre-COVID. We're working home some of the time and growing a little bit. We only had 9% thinking they want to be at home full-time. And then the other side is all of the people that really want to be at the office most of the time. So the other four. Office majority, somewhere between 65 and 70% on this survey. Uh, but office-centric, meaning they still are going to need a place for them, a place to work at the office, was 90% for the downtown workers. So even if they're only there one or two days a week, they're still going to need a place to sit and get work done and, and go to meetings. One thing to keep in mind with all of these surveys of what people want is whether it's a dream or a perfect reality, or is it a forecast of what's actually going to happen? And to try to get to this in a survey we recently did at Realty Advisors, if it was done after this survey with Informa, we asked people who said they wanted to be at home three to four days a week, well, will that work if your leadership of your company and or your whole team is back to the office? And 50% said, no, they didn't think it would work or they weren't sure it would work. So just because people say they think right now they want to work at home three to four days a week doesn't mean that's going to be very practical or feasible. So there's a lot we don't know about the future, but I think that's one where working from home works great and we're all at home. Is it going to work so great if you're the only one at home from your group? And we can probably talk about that more with Aaron and Adam in a minute. A few other things on productivity. So 50% said they were more productive. If you look down below, about 60% were quite happy with working from home. So that's great. We don't have disgruntled workers, which is probably a good thing with all the other stresses of the pandemic that a lot of people are actually finding. I think probably once we got through some growing pains because survey results early on, it was a lot of stress. But I think people have found a, a good rhythm, which is, I think, a really good sign for mental health and for workplaces. On productivity, we might want to talk about this. Productive at doing what? 
you know, there's a lot of parts of people's jobs that are not just about writing reports or generating spreadsheets. Sometimes there's parts of your job that are about mentoring or being mentored. And so when people say productive, I wonder what they're actually referring to. A little bit on where people were working before in terms of the layout. Open floor plan was pretty common pre-COVID. During COVID, do people feel like working an open floor plan? Not really. But that's during COVID. That's not post-COVID. That's right now where, you know, you do have to worry about a spread of virus. So we've certainly seen during COVID, people would rather be in private offices. And, you know, an interesting question will be whether there's an increased demand for private offices, which would reverse a trend that we had previously once we're done. How happy are people with their office set up prior to COVID? 60% were happy during COVID, a little less. I think, again, that probably has to do with people who are in much more crammed office setups would not be happy going back there right now. I think we can all understand that. Cleaning schedule, people were quite happy prior to COVID, a little bit less happy. We don't know if these are people who are actually at the office regularly, but it may be that for some people right now, you can't clean enough. And what tenants feel like they're going to need to go back to work. And I think as we're starting to evolve back to work, once there's vaccines, this is going to be important for landlords to be paying attention to. How can we help our tenants get back in the office, get their people feeling comfortable? And it's a question we're asking a lot at Realty Advisors. So obviously, some things we can't do about in terms of how the tenants density in their own workspace, but additional cleaning and sanitizing, air quality, things like that. Landlords can be either providing information. A lot of landlords have been investing in upgraded HVAC or HVAC filters. So it's letting the tenants know about this. Okay, I mean, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll just keep, that's a nice, pretty picture. And uh, I'll turn it over to Aaron and Adam. <laughs> Leave it there, <laughs> nice, nice sunshine through the trees. Let's go back. I mean, you had kind of mentioned that we digested a bit and maybe the answer is no to this, but when you are digesting the data from the surveys, are you able to carve it up by who is responding? I mean, I'm looking at the demographics and it's like 9.9% C-suite, Six and a half percent VPS VP. So that's what's that sort of 17 percent sort of senior leadership. And can you tell us where they fit on that working from home once COVID is resolved? Because I mean, you kind of pointed it out. If the decision makers are always in the office, there's probably some sort of trickle down effect. I mean, it's the middle management, they want to work from home five days a week. But if you know your boss is in the office five days a week, that's just not feasible, right? So how does that get digested? Yeah, with this one, not everybody of those 1,800 answered every question. So right now, we've been going through it and determining which questions we have enough statistical size of the sample to then cross tabs and to say, okay, of the people who want to be back at the office full time, what percentage are C-suite? And I think we haven't done that yet. That's a really good question for this one. What percentage is there? And again, there's always that dream versus forecast. If you're asking, well, what would you prefer personally? And it might say, well, you know, I like working from the cottage next to the golf course. (laughs) That's really convenient for me. But then realistically, once everyone's back to the office, you know, I think we know that leaders like to work. They like to be around their people and and they'll be back. So just it's also interpreting what they say. In some of our other surveys, we've looked at it by demographic groups and not necessarily by whether they were a decision maker, but certainly men over the age 55 quite liked working from home, it would appear. That may be not surprising. They're probably likely don't have young kids at home. Add that layer to your responses because, you know, you probably add a five-year-old or a three-year-old to that person's life, likely more interested in going back to the office. Parents in our previous survey like the idea of going like, back to the yeah. office. Women I'll, I'll three put, or four days a week, men all the time. If there's yeah. children at home, yes. Uh, my three-year-old's right over there. I'll put my hand up of, I go back to the office five days a week. The next one that I thought was really interesting is just the productivity that 50% so they're more productive. And you made the comment and I really focused on that at First National, just, you know, you might be more productive, but are you losing culture and where's the balance? 
Yeah, I think that's the thing is how do we measure productivity? And I think for a lot of us, we have tasks that you they're on your objectives for the year and you need to get them done. And often they aren't, I'm going to call them soft tasks. They're going to, there's hard things you can measure. How many research notes do I write? How many client presentations do I give? And how many unique analyses that we need to do for portfolio strategy? And all those things you can count. And working on some of those things, if we're not working as a team, sometimes I'm working on something by myself. Well, that's just as efficient or more efficient to do that at home. But then if you think about everything else as part of your job, especially if you're in a bit of a leadership capacity, you need to be mentoring people. You need to be being mentored yourself, uh, professional development, chance to like interact with colleagues who work in a slightly different department in your, in your company where you learn things from them. That's a little harder to do from home. You know, when we think about also onboarding new people, helping people with professional development, that's all for a lot of us, that's still part of your job, even if it's not something as easily to count as how many reports did you write? How many loans did you initiate? Quantify that. Yeah, and I can compound that. I mean, my particular role, you know, I've got four or five different departments and I've, you know, quote unquote, managed with my feet pre-COVID, constantly getting up and walking around that visibility. You know, you just hear things and you, I was more productive just doing that. I could get done in an hour talking to 15 people than I can in a whole day here, even though I would probably say I feel more productive. So it's, I think that's almost an oxymoron, right? So yeah. Exactly. I think we feel productive at those individual tasks, but are we being productive from a company perspective? 11 months in, how many companies feel like their culture is strong, that they're, they're onboarding, that attraction and retention is going to work really well? I think that would be an interesting, it'd be an interesting one to see as this results. Yeah, I agree. Let's keep moving. We're already 15 minutes in. We've got four more topics. So let's okay. keep going. So green initiatives. Some of these topics are a little shorter. So green initiatives, this was also one of these trends that was there pre-COVID, but somehow it seems people are speaking about it more. And I don't know if that's incidental to COVID or because of COVID, but climate change risk, climate change resilience for buildings. But starting with green initiatives and what the tenants are seeing, they were asked, are there green initiatives in place at your building? And newer buildings, generally, yes. We see the bottom thing, 63% said yes, and they value and engage with them. Some don't know, but hopes there are. And then we had no, but they want there to be some. So I found that 86% of the respondents found green initiatives at the building were very important. So that, I think, is, uh, is something to take away that as landlords, we're always looking for Obviously, we're, we're looking to make buildings more resilient and more lower carbon, more climate friendly, but also the fact that there's a tenant, perhaps a tenant attraction and retention to this and an employee satisfaction for our tenants from some of this work that we're, we're doing. And that's interesting how many pay attention to that. Some of our past surveys, there hasn't been nearly that much interest in what we're doing in terms of green initiatives at our building. So I was happy to see that. 34% saying they're worried about the future impact of climate change on their building. This sort of tells me, even though a lot of landlords are working on resiliency, planning for buildings, getting the resiliency and their climate risk scores, doing some mitigation, maybe we need to be telling our tenants a little bit more about what we're doing. And or if we're not doing things, it might be because the building actually gets a very high score in terms of resiliency. We did have 16% saying that their building had to manage some issues in the past five years due to climate change. So I'm assuming probably there's been some extreme weather events that have impacted buildings. And certainly part of the climate change equation is how people get to work. A lot of people driving, particularly higher income, we're 22% taking transit of our respondents, 9% walking or biking, which is a good number, especially this is a very Toronto-centric survey base. That's a fairly good number. How has COVID affected your commute choices? So 63% drove and expect to drive again. 22% didn't drive, won't drive in the future. And then, you know, we've got 
9%, 10%, I guess, thinking about that they probably they might drive in the future and 5%, they drove then, but they aren't, don't think they're going to drive again. I suspect some of those are people are thinking they're going to work from home. Right now, obviously, before COVID, 21% taking transit. This has dropped to 12. Some of that may be because right now, if you're going into work, there's almost nobody there. There's lots of parking and also people perceive safety of transit. I'm not quite sure what the rules are in Toronto. I'm assuming they're similar to Vancouver. You got to wear a mask and so forth, but there's obviously some people not feeling safe. The commute times I thought was interesting in terms of future demand for office and how companies may make decisions. I took this instead of the negative, I took this as the positive. 90% of downtown workers had a commute of less than an hour. Again, it's a fairly heavily weighted Toronto respondent space. So I thought that was actually a good sign that I certainly have talked to people who have just marathon commutes of an hour and a half or more in the GTA and that that's actually not the norm. 53% less than 30 minutes to work, 64% less than 30 minutes if they're in a more urban location as opposed to the suburbs. So it's interesting that suburban workers may actually have longer commutes. I thought that was interesting. And only 8%, 8.5% commuting more than an hour. We've talked about transit, but there's also the electric vehicles. So I thought this is also bigger scores than what we've seen in some of our past uh, tenant surveys at, at Realty Advisors, that 3.5% already owning one. No, but having plans in the next one to three years, 15%. So I think certainly a sign the cost of EVs have come down. It's now much more accessible. And then you see some of the other responses there. So that 33% would like to have one. And at the bottom, that 35% of buildings or so have uh, charging stations for electric vehicles. So I think that's certainly going to be something in demand in the future. And that might be something more suburban where more people are driving too. So we can stop there and talk a bit about climate and commutes. Well, I remember being at a real estate forum in probably 2013, and this subject matter was being discussed. And one of the panelists said at the time, this is the context of, you're talking about uh, eight or nine years ago, that while it's nice to have tenants don't value it, there's, there's no economic case for it. But when you look at the priority given to it, the first couple of your slides there that highlighted that, there's got to be an economic case for it at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think there has for certainly a lot of the climate initiatives, some of them there's an economic case with, in our case, our owner clients. We own buildings on behalf of clients or you know, realty advisors in that they want a low carbon footprint. They may want to own a lead gold or a lead platinum building. That's part of their mandate and, and their own ESG metrics that they're trying to meet. But now to see that more tenants are concerned about green and some of them now have their own carbon footprints, carbon disclosures, the task force on climate stability, the need to get to disclose your carbon footprint for a lot of companies that's going to grow at a higher level is making sure, okay, the office spaces we're in, you know, have lower carbon footprints, they have green credentials, whether it's a lead rating or there's other ratings out there, some of the BOMA best ratings, for example. So I think that's an interesting trend going on. And I think it's only getting bigger. You're right. Like, yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, I even remember back in like mid 2000s, why on earth would you bother to build a lead gold building thinking or lead platinum lead gold thinking about South Core Financial? And now, well, because it's become the standard, like you could start to see the writing on the wall that tenants want that, especially the big, you know, Fortune 500 tenants. Can I ask a really dumb question? I maybe I'm just missing it for whatever reason, but like, what is a green initiative in the context of this? Particularly that first slide, Wendy, where are there green initiatives in place that you're building, and do you engage with them? I can't remember. Maybe it's just been too long. What that would be like in an office building, and what other green initiatives that I'd be engaging with as an individual? Yeah, not sure exactly what the respondents would have been thinking about, but in our own surveys, you know, we talk about the recycling program. Are you involved? It's easy to recycle in the building, composting. 
There might be an energy reduction campaign in the building to see, you know, which tenants or as a whole building, can we get our energy usage down? Those kinds of initiatives would be ones that would be fairly visible to tenants. And when we've asked our tenants, what do they mean? They often typically do mean recycling and composting is available okay. in the building. I, and a chance brain, to, I was going to say, my brain went to like beehives on the rooftop. Is that included, I guess? Like I'm just trying to think of what these tenants would be experiencing. Yeah, I mean, I guess we do beehives on the roof. I don't know if that's what they were talking about. But certainly any of these programs, I think, get people thinking more about the environment would be good. But in our experience, it's been it's a lot of those really tangible things like how easy is it to recycle? How easy is it to compost while you're at the office? You know, there's green bins and you can put all the food waste in one and the recycling gets sorted and so forth. It was a buzzword pre-COVID and I'm sure it'll come back, but it's experiential office, right? Is that mm-hmm. that's really what you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's part of the office experience. People want climate responsibility to be part of the office experience. And I think that was happening pre-COVID. And I think it's not going to change or if anything, it may accelerate because we spend a lot of time at home thinking about the environment for whatever reasons. Okay, well, we um, on there, is, is there not a GWL building that has a rooftop beehive setup? I could have sworn I saw somebody from your Twitter department putting that up a couple of years ago. Yes, uh, I'm not completely sure which buildings do have it. But yes, a couple in Vancouver that have it, a couple in Toronto, for sure, that uh, okay. have hides. Yeah, and then somebody actually comes and makes product out of the honey. You can buy the honey. And you know, so tenants can then, there's a time when it's sold down in the lobby. You can buy honey. You can buy things made from beeswax, like, you know, some lip balm, things like that. I thought I was being <laughs> fantastical with that example. I put no. my foot in my mouth or I guess walked right into that somehow. Yeah. No, bee, well, bees are important as we start thinking about that's been an issue of not enough pollinators to help keep our agriculture yeah. going. Yeah, clearly the ponytail sending good vibes. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> building features, Wendy. Okay, building features. So what building features did our, our tenants want? Uh, so real estate executives, this one is segregated just for that group. Being near public transit, like buses and streetcars and being near subways as an essential, 35-ish percent. And then the other one I highlighted was restaurants and retail. So back to an experience that's essential. But if you add that and nice to have, what's pretty important is to have all of these things on transit and have some sort of nice amenity, experience amenities in the area, if not in the building itself. And obviously, a lot of office buildings offer some of the restaurant and retail. And, you know, ideally, a direct connection to a subway system tends to be something that helps with attracting and retaining tenants. And I thought this was interesting, just of uh, what amenities are in your office building and people put some of them up there. And with coffee shops, I like the fact that this year Informa added this question about what kind of coffee shop do you want? And I found very interesting that it was boutique or independent was the largest score. Now, the next two together are kind of those mainstream brands, whether Starbucks or Tim Hortons. So they outnumber it. But I thought that was an interesting response in terms of wanting a more unique experience. You know, we all know what a Tim Hortons or a Starbucks experience is like. We've all done it, but people wanting something different when they walk in their building. And I think that may be something of the future. You know, you think it's Commerce Court West in Toronto that has the Deneen's Coffee where they've redone that floor. And it's a much nicer experience than that building used to be. Just having that more independent, unique experience with a coffee company when you come in. So I thought that was interesting. Online shopping, I mean, that's another thing that's obviously grown very rapidly during COVID. And this just says people like between some people who purchase goods and not groceries, and then another 42% goods and groceries. We got about, you know, I'm assuming we add these together and we get 92%. I thought, where do you get this delivered in normal times? And the fact that 27% were getting this delivered at the office 
I mean, hopefully not all their groceries, but at least some things in terms of other goods that post COVID with people being that much more comfortable with e-commerce, I suspect that if there's going to be pressure on office buildings to come up with a solution for their tenants, because one, we don't necessarily want that much traffic in the elevators of delivery people bringing everybody's Amazon packages up or just the extra strain on the tenant staff. So some sort of a package delivery system in offices, which, you know, something we've been putting in multi-res buildings. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch in the future if this continues, whether that's an option or a feature that landlords may see there's a lot of demand for. And it's something you can charge. Like some of these packages, you actually, people can pay a subscription to have access to a locker system. A few other things essential would not lease without abundant natural light, really important for leasing office space. Free Wi-Fi, I think, again, this is some of the users, not necessarily the decision makers, but good quality Wi-Fi throughout the building, I think, is something, and we could talk about that in a little bit, of activating more parts of the building that otherwise might have been dead space by putting some Wi-Fi and some conference rooms, and I'm assuming that means in the building, additional places they can go work or spaces they can use. And there's a few things we had a long list. What wasn't important? Someone wondered about valet parking. Having a co-working company in the building was considered not important by 66%, but that still means maybe 33% had some interest in it. And hotel rooms connected. But, you know, but co-working in the building is also another interesting trend to think about how this is all going to change co-working companies. One thing you can improve in your office, what would it be? And I thought other than the HVAC, which I guess in COVID, we're all thinking about good air circulation. But I found it interesting that, that if you add up the all the f- answers that had to do with wanting more space, you could get as much as 18% of the respondents were saying they need more space. So whether it's more private spaces, it's about the layout, it's just increasing space. And you know, as we think about if there's a negative effect from more people working from home, there may be a counter to that, whether it's equal, greater or smaller, of actually needing more space in their office to feel comfortable and maybe to be productive. So I thought that was just an interesting thing to pull out of that slide. And outdoor spaces. So another thing about the environment, and maybe when people have been working from home, maybe they've had a little bit more access to outside space, but that was important. Yes, they have it and they value it, or no, but they want there to be some outdoor space to use. So if you add those two together, that's 70% of office workers think this would be important. And and yes, but it's not very inviting. I'm assuming that group would probably like it to be inviting. So we're getting up to about 80% are finding some outdoor space. And we were starting to see this trend in new builds of office buildings, particularly out in Vancouver, pre-COVID, is everybody gets a rooftop deck now. <laughs> and I think Toronto buildings are taller. You might not want to be on the roof. The weather's not so good up there. But podium outdoor space, I think, you know, certainly be a trend. I've got a question about co-working before we continue on. The, so the interesting one is not viewed as a high-value amenity for an office building, but can you envision a future post-COVID where workplaces are trying to manage uneven flows of workers? If everybody actually does end up, or a large portion of the workforce does end up working a handful of days a week, if you have uneven distributions on those days where co-working facilities would become that much more valuable because you could scale up with their space on those days that you that you had the excess of, of employees, could that be a way out of this for some of the co-working spaces? There's a bunch of trends with co-working. Certainly, the a lot of people crammed into a small space is probably not going to be super inviting immediately post-COVID until we all get comfortable or we've had vaccines and we've had mild versions of the virus a few times and we're pretty much immune. That may take a little while, but whether the co-working space stays in its current model, so we'll call its current model somebody like WeWork or Spaces, Regis, IQ Space, leases spaces office from landlords, and then they subdivide it into offices and open space, and they basically rent it back to workers. 
if we say that model may evolve and there may be more landlords who get involved in providing space, and it's certainly something I know a lot of landlords are thinking about, is whether they end up having a floor or two of either smaller turnkey spaces that can be leased on a short-term basis. Maybe Monday, Tuesday, one company has it, you know, Thursday, Friday, company B has the space. I'm not sure if that model is going to work, just the cleaning and the security and so forth. But there could be ones where we're ramping up. We need everybody in. I don't know. I'm thinking what's tax time and we've got to have all the accountants in collaborating on getting through taxes. Technology company coming up for delivery of a product might say, okay, we often have people working at home. We need them all at the building for quick meetings. And then maybe there's like for two months of the year, they're picking up space. So yeah, I think having some flow, some flexible space in a building I've had some big technology space users that I've interviewed just trying to understand future of office actually ask us about that if we're considering that. So I think that's something to think about is co-working. If we change that to flexible space and flexible lease terms from one day to one week to one year to one month, whatever, that may be coming post-COVID. But it's one of these things that's going to have to evolve and see what's there. But I would not be surprised if five years from now, things look totally different than they did, say, two years ago on the co-working front and the flexible space front. Wendy, I'm on the slide you had about location preferences among sort of corporate executives. And I can't really decipher here if there's a movement from downtown core towards urban or if it's kind of neutral. I, I mean, you look at the one like pubs and lounges after work, only 50% essential, but almost 60% nice to have versus the flip side near children's schools and daycares, 7% essential, but 42% nice to have. Like, what do you glean from those responses? Well, in terms of where, whether companies are looking to relocate their office space, I don't know there's much in here. And I don't know that there's a lot of evidence for any major relocations happening coming out of this. Doesn't mean one-off companies aren't going to move. But with that, I think it's part of the same trend of, you know, people want these urban environments, but I think, I guess it comes down to restaurants and retail being more important than maybe pubs. I guess they're thinking daytime needs as opposed to evening needs. Maybe if you asked the 18 to 30-year-olds on the survey, what would be important to them? You might see the pubs and lounges for after work go up. Or, they would really or, like no, or nightclubs. I mean, three and a half percent want nightclubs. That's Adam yeah. in his 20s, right? <laughs> there we go. Exa- exactly. So, you know, obviously we're talking to corporate real estate executives. I'm assuming we're talking about people who probably don't spend as much time in nightclubs as they used to. And a nice lunch or a place to even have a dinner while you're working late, I can see that being a little more important. But it's that urban environment, I think, is still fairly important to a lot of office tenants and for attracting and retaining a workforce. Yeah. Envision suburban office building in some sort of area with a bunch of other buildings surrounded by parking lots. You can't really check off very many of these sort of essentials, right? Exactly. And so there, there's a place for some of those suburban office parks in terms of what types of tenants they find them find them really useful. Obviously, having lots of parking can, can be beneficial. But if people are wanting that restaurant retail, it's got to be a pretty big business park before it can support having you know some of its own restaurant retail. And obviously, some of them are in the GTA. There's some that are definitely large enough. But it's wanting to have those amenities and employees being you know happier if they can be close to some of those. You don't have to get in your car every lunchtime. Or if you don't have a car, you don't have to get on a shuttle bus every lunchtime if you don't want to bring your own sandwich. Just a reminder to those participating in the live on the through the Ref Club, uh, please get your questions in. 
We're about 40 minutes in, so probably 10 more minutes and then we'll jump to the Q&A. So please you know, don't hesitate to get some questions in for Wendy near the end of this. Go ahead, Wendy. Let's get into Excellent. technology. Technology. This is just a couple slides. So connectivity in office buildings, I think that's something that is being spoken about. Mobile device reception. So 80% are having no issues. But then to see 18% spotty or even basically the other 20% having some challenges. You know, as we move to 5G, my understanding is that needs that many more transmitters. It's a technology challenge for office buildings to put in repeaters to make sure that people's cell phones work. As I'm sure a lot of companies are starting to go away from landlines in office spaces as well especially during COVID when, when was the last time any of us answered our phone at our desk at the office, right? And then wireless connectivity, how well the Wi-Fi works. Some of this is going to come back to the tenant themselves and what they're offering in terms of routers, but still there could be some design features or helping tenants with figuring out how to make sure they have good Wi-Fi. And I think also for buildings, it may become more important to have good quality Wi-Fi in the lobby that people can tap into and any other shared spaces that is powerful enough that somebody could do a Zoom call in that space or tune into a webinar that you know people are looking for not being tied to a desk 100% of the time, but if they're at the office, if there was a nice open area in the lobby where desks or tables or people could work with some Wi-Fi, that might actually be attractive to a lot of companies. Or if there's a coffee shop, sort of like we were talking about Commerce Court, you know, having some Wi-Fi there that everybody can tap into. And cybersecurity, there's another one. If landlords do get involved in providing, I'm seeing Wi-Fi and providing some of the flex space services like a co-working company, cybersecurity is a fairly important issue to figure out. Most of the time it's going to be on the tenants, but if the landlords start providing some of these overflow spaces, cybersecurity will be something to make sure can be provided. Again, one of these technology companies I was talking about who does a lot, they have a lot of their, they use WeWork for a lot of overflow space and commented that one of the things they liked about it was they did feel like if they took a whole floor with them, the cybersecurity, the internet IP security was very good. And so for looking to provide some of these overflow short-term spaces, having that may be fairly important. This said, I think we know a lot of hacking comes from people clicking on the wrong email. So there's still that that part, you, you know, again, it's on the employer to solve that their employees aren't clicking on the wrong things. But I thought it was interesting that even a technology company was concerned about this, even though they could do other things at the back end. They were very concerned actually about with work from home, about the, uh, the cybersecurity with that. So we'll st- stop there. Do we want to talk about technology at all before we move to tenant satisfaction? Yeah, there's one quick one, uh, Wendy. For cybersecurity, with these new buildings coming online, GWL RA is involved in a number of new builds. As these buildings become more and more wired, is there going to be more security flaws from a cybersecurity perspective? Is that going to become more of an issue than it currently is now? Well, I say we hope that doesn't manifest itself as an, as an issue. But when we think about the Internet of Things and how many machines you have connected to the cloud and to the outside world, then any one of those connections is potential hacking avenue. So it just means that there's that much more attention needs to be paid to that. And this is somewhat outside my area of expertise. So I don't want to say too much other than that it's on the radar as a challenge. If the smarter you make a building, the more you have to worry about attacks. You know, obviously, if your house has no technology beyond your internet connection, you know, your fridge doesn't talk, your fridge, your coffee maker isn't connected to the internet, your fridge isn't, there's a lot fewer avenues to be hacked. I mean, Adam and I were actually the last thinking we did last week was Brett Miller of Candorel just talking about his vision for technology was that the building knew when people were leaving their desks so that the baristas would know to get a new pot of coffee going in the on the main floor. Like just the everything is so interconnected that way that it's so much more efficient, better for the environment. But of course, I guess because you've got that internet of things creates a little bit more challenges as far as just 
keeping the data secure. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it sounds like you've had a guest on that, that people can probably go back and listen to that interview for more on technology and cybersecurity. Let's move into tenant satisfaction, Wendy. All right. So a big part of these office surveys is often for landlords is to make sure that we're doing a good job and the tenants are happy. And generally, the results in this one were pretty good. It says that we survey our own tenants. So we have some scores to compare. 63% thought the physical condition they're building was an 8+. Plus. An 8+, plus is a pretty good score. And, you know, 65% liking the state of their office space. Now, their office space is obviously controlled by their employer, not necessarily controlled by the building. Those are good scores. Satisfaction of concerns or requests. So I guess maintenance requests, number 10 was the highest scoring, which is really good for maintenance requests. So I thought that, I think, you know, the landlords involved, those employees in them should be very proud that they're able to get issues quite quickly. Communications on building issues, events, and even COVID impacts. Again, really strong. Noticing that in the Top quality buildings, the responses, the experience was better than in some of the older legacy assets. Probably makes sense. The brand new buildings are are often staffed a little higher. Being new, there may be some technologies involved in helping to maintain the buildings at a different standard. Sensors that help with, you know, when do bathrooms need cleaning, when do garbage cans need emptying, and so forth. Overall customer service, it said like 10, 9, 8, and number 7, all very strong. Again, slightly stronger on the higher-end buildings, but again, you know, they're higher rents. There are often a higher service offering at those buildings. So I think we would hope that they would score better than a building that has more minimal service, but a good value for rents. And you need all these buildings for all the types of companies and, and office users that we have in our cities. A few really interesting things that came out in this survey, and I I tried to just put a few of them down, but there's so many more. 25% expecting their company to grow in the next 12 months. That's really interesting. And it's also important. It feels like the world has stood still a bit. There's been a lot of job losses in some sectors, but actually in the office-oriented sectors, there's been either flat or job growth, depending on what city or province you're in. So financial services, professional services, technology companies, there's actually, they've either recovered the jobs, they've even grown jobs over the last year. So I think that actually is important to note is that even though we're all at home, the number of people who are doing office jobs has actually increased during the pandemic. The modest majority of respondents said they're happy working from home and equally or more productive. And post-pandemic, most people want some flexibility to work from home part of the week, or at least when they need to, to just be trusted to work where they need to work to get work done that's required. Workers wanting more space. During the pandemic, not as many people happy about working in open plan spaces makes sense. Whether this continues into more private offices and back to private offices for some companies post-COVID is, I think, an interesting question. Tenants, so we had 20% reporting some connectivity issues. So that's something I think all buildings to work on, especially as we move into a 5G environment. Green and wellness amenities are valued higher than other amenities. And there's been a pretty big change, as we were talking about over the last decade, in terms of how much tenants are valuing these types of experiences or services. And another one, I didn't have the chart anymore. I took it out. But many tenants were actually unaware of some of the features and amenities that a building provides. So there may be some opportunities when, as people get back to the offices, a welcome back initiative landlords could take is just reminding people. And especially there may be people who are new to the companies and new to the office buildings when we all come back, reminding everybody of what's available. Is there a fitness center? Are there some tenant lounges? Are there some meeting rooms that can be booked? You know, people saying they want meeting rooms. Maybe their office provides it, but they had no idea that they were there. So I think just a good communications reminder for the landlords that tenants are unaware and we can come up with some creative ways to, to let people know what we offer. So this is a summary. There's a data set and a white paper that if you're interested in purchasing that goes with all of this, there's Sarah's contact information. And I guess now we can go to Q&A. 
Yeah, there is a deeper dive you can do on this than the uh, 45 minutes we did here today. And and Wendy put up the contact information there. Before we move into the Q&A, Wendy, there's been a lot of pontificating in the newspapers about we're going to need more office space overall. We're going to need less office space overall. In your conclusions there, you talked about a couple of things. Companies expect to grow, but you could grow with workers at home. Workers want more space, but maybe those aren't the decision makers who want more space for their employers. So we assume that we get out of COVID by the end of the year. So a year and a half from now, are we occupying more space or less space? What does it look like? And Wendy, I'll, let me pile on. So answer that question. And in concert, are you going back to the office? What's your personal feeling about okay. this? I am definitely going back to the office. I had flexibility to work from where I felt I needed to work prior to COVID. I was mostly at the office. So yeah, I definitely miss the office for talking to people. I miss having the workplace set up. The separation of work and life and everything else is nice. And I don't live that far from the office either. So the commute's not too bad. In terms of, are we going to be using more office space a year and a half from now than the pre-COVID or, you know, say Q4 2019? Hard to say. I think the occupied space, not the vacancy rate, because there's been a lot of new supply coming, especially Vancouver and Toronto. I anticipate it will be very flat compared to pre. And I think there'll probably be absorption in the higher end buildings and maybe a little bit of negative absorption in the B and C buildings. That those smaller tenants who've now been doing work from home for a while may decide to stay there, may decide to do something different. That's my prediction is we're going to be fairly flat, probably up in A and AA and maybe down a little bit in the B and C, but the vacancy rate is going to be higher. So it's just important not to confuse the vacancy rate with the occupancy number, the total square footage occupied, because we're going to see higher vacancy rates with new product coming. And there hasn't been a lot of leasing in the last year. You know, as you guys have probably seen, if you've been underwriting some buildings, leasing has been very quiet because people can't do tours. They can't feel comfortable doing tours. Most of the big leases that have been signed were under negotiation pre-COVID or considered pre-COVID. So there hasn't been a lot of brand new leasing over the last year. And we'll need to catch that up. And a lot of companies are waiting till this is over to then figure out their space needs. How many people are going to, you know, say start their leases expiring. We've had a lot of tenants trying to do like one and two year renewals, just move my decision 24 months down the road so we can get through COVID. And then we'll see how many people really come back to the office, what people want, what's working and make a decision about our next office lease. And you said get through COVID and that's the uncertainty. What is that? 12 months, 18 months, 36 months. I mean, let's hope not, but that is the unknown variable. Well, Thank you very much, Wendy. Really appreciate your time to do this. And of course, all the effort, the work that you did with Tinforma. So thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to doing this again, Wendy. Yeah, my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. And thanks to you guys for hosting. Hey, everybody. That's the end of our interview that we did with the Ref Club. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.